It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so glad that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he really communicates many of these radical teachings there at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through these really verse by verse over the past several weeks. If you have missed any of the prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. We have these broadcasts and many more there on our website for you to share with your friends and family alike. With me here in the studio is Dr. Steve Ford. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. It's a great series that we're in right now. And and probably be wrapping it up today, I think. But it's been wonderful. And we were talking before the show. Some, I, I will listen to our, our broadcast. And I have been convicted by the things that we're talking about. <laughs> uh, and I just, I think this has been such a great show. I think the Lord has really blessed it. And the Holy Spirit, I think, has revealed so many things to us and really helped us to understand Christ's purpose for us. And we're going to continue with that today. That's right. And I know that we have several more teachings of the Lord that we'll cover later on, because he really, through all of his instructions, they were all radical, quite frankly, to the sin nature. And so we've got more to cover, but we've really been focusing in on over these last few weeks is talking about that we can't serve two different masters, uh, that, that we're to be in total allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so today's discussion really just uh, bookends this entire discussion over these past few weeks, because you, it's a it's a phrase that we often hear, and we really need to examine it closer. It's to take up our cross to follow him. And, and we talked just in brief about this last week, as we read from Mark chapter 8 and Luke 14. So let me kick off our study here today with those two powerful passages. Uh, Mark 8, 34 to 38 reads, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." And then in Luke fourteen thirty three, we read, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. And Dr. Ford, I, what we've been discussing is really a calling to a radical life of service to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And before the program, we were talking about that this radical living is highlighted to such extent, even in the scriptures, that it may even appear that we so love Jesus, it might even look like we hate right. our own family in contrast, even though he's not calling us to hate, but rather to show that this is not a, I like Jesus a little more than I right. like mom and dad. It's to show that I am so in love with Jesus, who now is the guide to all of my life. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation upon which my whole life is built upon. 
everything I do is to glorify his holy name. Right. It's a radical living that comes out of that. Maybe not so radical as the life of John the Baptist, mind you, but a but by comparison to how we have lived in Babylon, that's the what that's the way it should look. That's the what our neighbors should see. There should be no doubt to anyone that we belong to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think you make a great point that for each of us uh, there are going to be some things that are similar, but each of us have our own sort of radical journey that mm-hmm. Jesus plans to do in our lives. And that may look a little bit different for each one of us. How how we live in that sort of radical aspect and complete devotion to him is going to play out a little bit different in each of our lives. That's right. That's right. You know, this is the temptation then of the earth to hold us back with all of these things that are temporary pleasures. And we've talked a great deal about that, uh, this this treasure that we're laying up in heaven versus that which seems so tangible in the here and now that's instant gratification, instant, uh, you know, return on our investment or so it seems. And if I, you know, put a few hours into this, it's going to yield this outcome and I can touch it. I can feel it. Might even smell it. I can certainly see it. Uh, and, and that's what we often put our attentions to because it seems so much more real than that which is eternal. We can't quite see heaven yet. We can't see and look into the eyes of Jesus yet. So we're often going to default to what our flesh deems is real and not to that which is truly eternal. So we have to lay up riches where they truly count, (laughs) that which is truly eternal. That's a call to radical living, to give up what the desires of the flesh truly seek. And and we have to be honest here that many of the sins that we're called to be set apart from can even be very entertaining, uh, can can uh, even be appealing to the flesh, and they wouldn't be much of a temptation if they weren't. And so to have victory over those temptations is, is a great uh, uh, just joy in the Lord when we can see that we are victorious against these temptations and, and find great satisfaction when there's victory over these temptations. So we are called to deny ourselves. It means that self no longer has jurisdiction here. It no longer has the rights over me. What I desire then should be what the Lord desires because I've been bought at a price. I'm a living sacrifice, according to Romans chapter 12, 1. So we're called to take up the cross, which means that we take the same path Jesus took, being willing to lay down our lives for his sake, ultimately for the gospel. So we're called to follow him. We're called to imitate Jesus and that he is the perfect example. Jesus wants all of our hearts. Uh, Dr. Ford, before the program we were talking about, maybe I was venting a little bit as a pastor, because uh, I can only imagine what school teachers hear. School is now back in session. We've got a number of school teachers in our church, and and we joke a little bit about how children are very good about creating some of the best excuses of why they can't <laughs> deliver their homework on time or be active participants in class or even showing up on time. And we see a lack of discipline in children. We certainly come to expect that, and we shouldn't. Uh, we give a lot of uh, grace to children and the lack of discipline today, but we have really acclimated to that as adults, especially as adult Christians. We're very good at already coming up with the excuse of why we are not going to show up to church this weekend or even be in his word and of the word. We're one of the worst 
military forces on the face of the planet. We've been called soldiers for Jesus Christ, and yet we don't even have our uniform on. We have no idea what our marching orders are, and then we don't even show up to duty. I've often pictured the church as like an outpost. You know, if you ever remember the film like Dances with Wolves, and he goes out into the prairie plains there, and, and there he comes across an old fort that's been left to ruin, basically. Nobody was there manning, manning it, uh, serving at the outpost and the stations, and he has to clean it all up and get it into running order again. And I've often thought about that from even small churches out on the countryside. It's like, this is an outpost. This is a place where the battle is happening. This is where you're getting the troops ready for the battlefield, and they have got to learn the field manual for operations. And they're totally undisciplined in this, and then wonder why they fail time and time again right. when confronting a very real enemy. The Bible says is a roaring lion who seeks to devour. And yet we go out there with no understanding of how to use our sword. No battle training, no weapons combat training whatsoever, because we're not taking this battle space seriously at all. Here's what Paul told Timothy, young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. He tells him, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, this past Sunday, I used an example of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and that's at Arlington National Cemetery. I remember when my son and I visited Washington, D.C., we got these little electric scooters. We were buzzing around the city. We didn't even take a taxi. We just used these little electric scooters, buzzed everywhere. Then I got to show him all the history of the city and certainly all of the Images of Babylon as well while we were at it, right? If Freemasonry is everywhere, we don't want to just simply over-spiritualize it as if it's all for Jesus or all for Yahweh. It, it, there's a lot of pagan symbolism there. So we went through that history together. And then as we made our way over to the cemetery, my son then sees the fields of tombstones, and it was a wonderful opportunity to show how many men and women were willing to lay down their lives for a cause, they believed in something so much so that it took their life to do what was right and willing to lay down their lives for people who were not even born yet. And there was a great model to be demonstrated in that. And then we made our way over to the tomb of the unknown soldier. Now, if someone is chosen for that particular duty assignment, that applicant has to go through an intense training period. They have to pass tests on weapons ceremonial steps, cadence, military bearing, uniform preparation, and orders. In fact, it's what's considered to be the highest standards of them all. They have to memorize 35 pages without missing a single word. They have to go through 24-hour shifts. And yes, there's even living quarters beneath the tombs. So they have to go through training exercises, and yes, even preparing their uniform that can last eight hours a day just in preparing their uniform and their training. That's not even just walking and, and enduring all sorts of weather and tourists and so forth. They are some of the most disciplined, and they demonstrate that kind of discipline, and they do all of that for individuals whose bodies are still in a tomb, and I think about it from a Christian perspective, we are serving the one who broke free from a tomb, and yet there is no discipline. 
And, and I think about it from the standpoint of we have Christians that are complaining about the idea that we might be actually in the end times, and I think there's no question about that, and then they're whining about it. They complain <laughs> about it. And, and that it is time for a paradigm shift. In, in Philippians, and I believe it's chapter 1, the Apostle Paul deems it as, as commendable. You have the privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. He, it was Peter who tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that we're a royal priesthood, that we're chosen by God, and let me add the old cliche here, born for such a time as this. It's a special duty assignment, according to Luke 17.10, and it's time to step up. It should be our great joy to serve the Lord with all that's in us, to know his word. Here we have men who are guarding an unknown soldier within a tomb, and they have to memorize 35 pages minimally of content, and then ask somebody in the church to memorize one scripture verse, and you might find that they're wanting, that there is not even that kind of desire. That means that they don't take this seriously. And therefore, what we're asking people to think about here is the fact that we have been called to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. That that starts now. That's not just being willing to die, but willing to die to self, willing to be set apart from the system of this world, being willing to go wherever the Lord leads. You think about it in the, the end time, in the great tribulation period, the final 42 months We see that after the Antichrist desecrates the temple and calls himself a god and then begins to persecute the Jews as as he goes out to reign over all of the earth, and it's a time like like none other in human history of persecution, and the Lord calls his people to go out into the wilderness, exodus-ready people willing to give up everything. Don't even go back for your coat. Don't go back into your home. Flee now, exodus-ready. Be ready for me to be your whole provision in the midst of these sorrows. And I wonder, are we ready to do that now? I mean, we're not even talking about a rapture in this. We're, we're talking about a people who are living during the great tribulation period of time, which I believe is coming up rather soon. But even now, can Christians live like that? Would we be willing to forsake everything for the cause of Christ? And that's why he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know that you can get stronger words of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you are baptized, you are pledging allegiance to Jesus. He is now the sole focus of your existence in this earth. And when he said those words, you think about it, 4 BC, they had just seen over 2,000 men strung up on crosses throughout the roads of Galilee. And that was the backdrop of this. So we're not looking forward yet to Christ's crucifixion. They're looking backwards now to say those who had a cause were willing to die for that cause to overthrow Rome, and it cost them thousands of lives, and yes, even crucified along the roads to make an example out of them. The Lord uses that as a backdrop of this teaching to say, are you willing to do the same for me, to give up everything of what you think is real for this greater cause that's beyond anything that you could ever imagine? And so, Dr. Ford, throughout this journey, we've talked about this, that it can seem so mundane and just the little things is uh, how we even manage our time or money or resources, uh, the small victories 
that we have every single day of battle over temptation, where we truly are acting as a people that are set apart. We're no longer indulging in sin. We're no longer just wallowing and basking in this immorality because it's entertaining and pleasing to the flesh. But rather, when we see something immoral, we flee from it. We use the word there, fugo. You're running from it like a fugitive. Get away as fast, as urgently as possible. Don't entertain sin. Don't give this Satan, our enemy, any room, a chink in the armor to exploit. So what can seem so little is how we treat our wealth, that, that the money God has given to us, does he really get all of everything he has given to us? Or do we treat it like, hey, God, here's your 10%. I get this 90% to do whatever I want. Right. <laughs> That's why money becomes such a test even in that, we struggle to give him 10%. Yeah. And even though that's not a command in the New Testament, and we've talked about that, uh, even from the Abrahamic covenants and so forth, but we have to then ask ourselves, are we serving these things of the world more so than God? Does he really have number one priority in our lives? I mean, you talked about it, Dr. Ford, the simple two commands that aren't so simple. Right. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That the, All of the law and the prophets hold on to these two things. And then we pat ourselves on the back if we've done something for our neighbor. But did God really get all of our love? Yeah. That really steered everything of our mindset I don't know that we can say that with 100% assurity, that that's what we were thinking when we did possibly that good thing, Right. that God was truly number one in everything of how we thought that day. That's a scary proposition, because as we talked about last week, we want Jesus to be our Savior, but not our Lord. And you don't get to, to separate those two. They're not hermetically sealed from one another. He has to be both. That's why there's fruit. That's why witnesses could stand before the courts of heaven and say, without a doubt, that person is a Christian, because I know that they're a Christian. I've heard them speak of the Lord. There is no doubt the way they live their lives, everything, the way they carry themselves, they belong to a higher power. They belong to Yahweh through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There'd be no doubts. So on the account of two or three witnesses, even, could they speak on your behalf that you belong to Jesus? If there are no witnesses... Then, then you're fooling yourself because there will be a harvest. There will be a return on the Lord's investment in you. And he uses the image of the, the different types of soils that, that produce when seeds are planted. There will be a return on that. And so if we think that we're good enough, well, we have fooled ourselves. So I have to ask a question. If you have wealth or does wealth have you? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so, Dr. Ford, again, that can take such a, a, a root in our minds that we think this is all about money, and it's not. <laughs> money is just simply a revelation of our hearts. What has true allegiance and what has true authority in our lives? What will we give all of our waking hours to of one more so than the other? Because we think that one has more value than the other. And shame on us. We'll think that currency has more value than God. Yeah, and isn't, isn't it one of the easiest things in our culture to become an idol? Because we feel like it can protect us. It can provide for us. You know, all the things that we're, we're sort of looking for and all the things that we value about our relationship with God— 
we feel sometimes like money can do the same thing. That's right. You know? And we're sorely mistaken, and we're missing out on the things and the blessings and relationships that the Lord longs to have for us. That's right. Amen. I mean, that's the true treasure, right? right. That's him. the true victory. Right. Yeah. If we love the Lord that much, whatever adversity we're going through, we're not going to be so shaken by it. Yeah. If this body succumbs to cancer in some way, we're going to be thinking, how many doctors and nurses do I get to talk to, to them right. about Jesus? How much can I do in that hospital today? We'll be so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that everything else will fall into perfect alignment. Now, will we completely succeed in that? Will there be moments of failure? Of course. Yeah. Especially in fatigue. If you've ever denied yourself food all day, your attitude changes by the end of the day. Yeah. And certainly we see that with Elijah. A great example is he was running for his life. After fire comes down from heaven, after there's great victory, he turns to fear once again. He's running for his life, and he's lamenting before the Lord. Jeremiah, same thing. He's lamenting before the Lord. I don't want to get beat up for you anymore. I'm so glad these men showed these signs to say that they had moments of weakness, but yet great moments of victory. And they didn't sit on one victory. Yeah. It wasn't just one mountaintop experience, if right. you will, but like Sinai, and then off we go back into the ways of the world. No, there's the ebbs and flows of keep the spiritual maturation going until the day that they're called home. And interestingly, as you've mentioned before, we, we have those weaknesses many times after those great victories. <laughs> right. When we look at Elijah, look, look what you just did, you know, and now you're crying underneath this tree and you're so, and right. poor woe is me. Uh, but for any of those who serve the Lord, it doesn't take very long until you've been there. You've experienced the, the very same thing. After some great victory, some huge manifestation of the Lord's love and power in your life, only to falter subsequently. That's right. And, and that's where we have to keep putting on the armor. Right. Ephesians 6, we cannot take that lightly every day. Bathe the day in prayer. Be in the word of the word. This will carry you through and you will cultivate such a closer communion with God that this will be your strength throughout the entirety, not only of that day, but the entirety of the week. I think that we look too far out sometimes uh, and not just thinking about this moment being to the glory of God, his kingdom come, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Powerful words to consider. Yeah. Just like we had talked about with C.S. Lewis in those words saying that in every human interaction, we're either helping people towards heaven or towards hell. Those are the only two choices in that interaction. You're helping them one way or the other way. That's right. So every single interaction is important and can be blessed by God if we're in that right spot to receive God's blessing and relationship with him. Yeah. yeah and that requires discipline. <laughs> There's Amen. that word again. Amen. Uh, discipleship means discipline. Huge. And, and if we truly believe what we say we believe, it will not be a burden. It will be a joyous celebration, a good pleasure in us to please he who has called us who created us, who gives us breath in our bodies. Yeah. Uh, this should be the, the fuel to our fire every single day. Yeah, because you know when you do have those moments and you feel that the Lord has worked or is working through you, isn't that when you feel the most alive? You sort of get a glimpse of heaven mm. with that. Amen, amen. Well, Dr. Ford, you know how this goes. The yeah. time just gets right away from us. <laughs> exactly. We'll continue into these uh, additional radical teachings of Jesus. We've got a lot more to cover, but I think we've really covered now a, 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 a very serious thematic thread that's a, a deep one, a challenging one. It's going to cause all of us to go back, listen to it again and again, yeah. and make sure that we are, are fully grounded in this truth, walking in truth, knowing his word, because it is in the truth 
that we can truly worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope as you as a listener that you have been encouraged by this series on Engage in Truth. And we want to thank you for listening each and every week. If you're looking for a church to worship with others, looking for an expository church that's verse by verse, then look no further. Come (laughs) check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. We're on the south end of Colorado Springs, and services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.